Hello, and welcome to the Blockchain.com podcast. My name is Nicholas Carey, the co-founder and vice chairman of Blockchain.com. Here at Blockchain.com, we hand-select some of those popular cryptocurrencies for you to buy, sell, swap, trade, and hold right within the world's most popular crypto wallet, the Blockchain.com wallet. So what makes each one of these assets we list so special? What problems do they solve? How many people are using them? And what does the roadmap look like for each project going forward? From founders to developers, we'll hear straight from the brains behind the protocols themselves to find out why the asset is worth paying attention to. Today, I'm really excited to be joined by Lily Liu, president of the Solana Foundation, to discuss Solana, the high-performance blockchain that helps builders create scalable crypto apps in Solana's native crypto token, Sol. Solana officially launched in 2020, and since then, Sol has appreciated over 16,000% making it one of the most valuable cryptocurrencies in the ecosystem with a market cap of over $12 billion. Without further ado, Lily, we've got a little tradition around here. How did you earn your first buck? When did you, uh, as a young adult, sort of learn that money played an important role in the world? Hi, Nick. Um, thank you so much for having me. I earned my first buck when I was 11. Um, I was in middle school and um, grew up in California. No surprise, I played the violin, played the piano. I was in a youth orchestra. And part of um, the fundraising for youth orchestras, because they go on tours every couple of years, um, and you know, cost a couple thousand dollars to go to Europe or whatever. So all the kids would do this fundraising thing where they would sell candy. And initially, they kind of gave you basically like their source of candy to sell. And it was an assortment of three bars. And I was selling to my classmates. And then my mom suggested to me, she's like, well, if you've got a customer base and they want Skittles, why don't you just buy Skittles from Costco and then you can sell them to your customer base? They want a different assortment. I was like, you've got a good point there. Uh, I eventually left that youth orchestra, but I still had my customer base. So I basically was a candy salesperson uh, competing with food service. And I basically loaded my backpack in the morning with candy and people would mob me at snack time. Uh, and so, you know, I learned about inventory management, security, um, custody. <laughs> These are all very relevant. I can see uh, I can see how this all came together. So from uh, basically being a school uh, ground hustler to getting into crypto, what was sort of that transition? And when did you sort of um, learn that you wanted to get involved in the crypto community full time? Yeah, so I learned about Bitcoin in 2013 when I was still living in China. And I learned about Bitcoin through folks that I used to play poker with. And initially, probably like a lot of people, I thought it was a scam. It's probably that thing used for money laundering sounds pretty sketchy. Um, but then I read the white paper and uh, because I'm not an engineer, um, I read and I thought, well, this is definitely not a scam. I don't entirely understand sort of, you know, the full implications of it. Um, but as I went into it further, uh, what really fascinated me about it was living in China, which is a very kind of centrally controlled government with all the pluses and minuses of that. Um, this idea that you would have an economic system, an economic community governed by its participants rather than a central party was just such a novel idea, right? Uh, and even today, you know, we're still sort of uh, mining and understanding all of the very profound implications of that. Because really what's at hand here is um, not just digital gold, right? Not just um uh, not just new tokens, although there's many of those, what it really proposes is different ways of um, creating economic communities and governing those communities. Cool. All right. So what does the president of the Solana Foundation do? 
So uh, Solana, it's an ecosystem. It's not any one entity. Um, the Solana Foundation, like many of these projects, is the nonprofit arm charged with uh, helping facilitate uh, the technology and the growth of uh, open source, the open source protocol and, uh, and the technology and the ecosystem associated with that. So the Solana Foundation, we're based here in Switzerland. I am here in Switzerland as well. Um, which is a beautiful place. And uh, so Solana is, got started in 2017. And essentially what happened was there was Bitcoin from the early days and then there was Ethereum that got launched in 2015. And Ethereum introduced this idea that uh, these decentralized systems could be used for supporting all sorts of applications on top of them in the same way that in the early days, there was a bunch of technology around transmitting data you know, quickly over the internet. And, uh, and then we, over time, built all of these cool applications that use that initially with messaging, um, instant messaging, if we're old enough to remember the AIM days, right? IM, uh, and then email. And then the browser came along as a way of delivering all these application experiences to people. Um, and from there, you know, social media came along and all of these other things that we now are now part of our everyday lives. So essentially there was this new form of infrastructure, meaning the internet uh, that could transmit information really quickly from point A to point B. Uh, you could access it through your browser and then like all these new ways of interacting with people and doing things online came about, right? Which is really, really transformative. So the idea with decentralized infrastructures, it might sound really arcane sometimes, um, but it's essentially uh, infrastructure for the internet, but decentralized, right? Meaning that uh, it can be run by anyone more or less around the world with like, you know, varying degrees of sophisticated or a little bit less sophisticated hardware. Uh, and, uh, and whether it's Ethereum or Solana or many of the other tokens you might see, like, you know, I think Avalanche, another one, Polygon, so on and so forth. They're basically um, different ways of providing decentralized infrastructure that can underlie um, new applications built for blockchain, crypto, Web3, whatever you want to call it, world, right? And the reason why that's cool is because uh, there are potentially new applications and better applications to do things that uh, we're very familiar with. So, for example, payments can potentially work much better in in a Web3 or kind of blockchain-based world. Um, And really fundamentally, what uh, one of the biggest things about it is that you can own your uh, you can own your own uh, money, you can own your own information, and once you know, sort of the individual can really own their own property in a digital world, then there's all sorts of sort of new things that come about from that. So that's you know why this whole sort of batch of um, call it you know, 2017 2018 blockchains kind of came about inspired by Ethereum, um, and then they all kind of took different approaches to being able to do things faster and cheaper, right? Um, So Ethereum, we love Ethereum, we owe a lot to Ethereum as a community, Um, but uh, Ethereum is faster and cheaper than blockchain, but still not that fast and not that cheap. And these things really matter uh, because uh, Ethereum transactions cost anywhere between two and $20, uh, depending on how many people are trying to use the network. And they take you know, a couple of minutes to really confirm, right? Yep. 
So for the average person out there that's used to uh, sending money on the internet, right? And doesn't really think about, you know, if I send money on Zelle to Nick and he sends it back to me, what's actually happening on the back end? I just care that I sent it, it's going to get to him. And I know fairly instantaneously that it's working, right? Um, so if that's the case, then uh, really of all of the sort of different blockchains that were born in that 2017-2018 era, um, there's a lot that's going on under the hood in order to enable this. But with Solana, uh, instead of spending a few dollars at least and waiting a few minutes, um, I can basically you know, do a transaction with Nick um, in a fraction of a cent in a fraction of a second which means that that kind of base level transaction experience feels like the regular internet. And so, you know, this is important because, you know, sometimes it sounds like, oh, Lily, that's it. So it's fast and cheap. You're like, well, but fast and cheap is kind of, you know, the beachhead for everything actually. But if you think back to dial up modems, again, you know, that's something that I remember. Um, But, uh, with 56K modems, uh, a company like Netflix is Impossible. mailing DVDs back and forth. Yep. With Ethernet and with really fast internet, a company like Netflix um, is allowing you to stream video, right? So same industry, same company, wildly different applications and experiences. Cool. Okay, so basically what we're saying is the internet sort of evolved to make it possible to send digital information from point A to point B. And then it got much more exciting where people were publish- publishing information, consuming content. Um, but there was sort of an infrastructure problem where you have these huge platforms that basically controlled people's custody of their information and how they were able to consume it. Um, and so now we have this world of decentralized infrastructure that makes it possible to build new applications that let users more firmly control what information they share with what entities on the internet. It allows them to potentially perform faster, better, cheaper payments, um, and also basically control uh, what type of experiences they have um, on all kinds of new applications. And so Solana Mm -hmm. is one of the kind of core uh, platforms that is working to Uh, build up the infrastructure, make it possible for developers around the world to create these new experiences. All right, I think I'm getting it. So one (laughs) of the things I'd like to learn a little bit about is how is the kind of economic design of Solana, for example, different from Bitcoin or Ethereum? So these networks um, basically settle in clear transactions. They have a native token. Bitcoin has uh, a famous uh, cap of 21 million. Um, Ethereum's designed in a, in a different way. How is the economic design of Solana a competitive and how does it compare to maybe Bitcoin or Ethereum that people are familiar with? Okay, sure. Um, so the underlying mechanism that, um, that verifies transactions on Bitcoin and Ethereum is proof of work. Bitcoin's always going to be proof of work. So you've basically got these massive data centers with you know, ever more powerful machines basically doing the same uh, doing the same calculation over and over as fast as it can in order to try to sort of uh, get to the right answer the fastest and kind of win the lottery for proving the next block of transactions, right? So that's reliant on the most high-powered hardware that you could possibly uh, build and then get into a day center ASAP. Ethereum, because it started, you know, in 2015, um, has been proof of work so far, so also reliant on powerful machines, um, and uh, although less powerful than Bitcoin, uh, Bitcoin kind of hardware requirements. And now ETH is uh, moving to what we call a proof of stake consensus uh, kind of uh, uh, consensus class, right? 
And um, so what also happened in kind of the 2017-2018 era is uh, uh, there is a number of projects, including Solana, proving out that proof of stake um, is a way of, uh, of building consensus in blockchains. And what it means is that you need um, much less sort of uh, robust and therefore more, much more available hardware. You can basically do it with a pretty advanced CPU, meaning you can more or less use the types of servers that already exist in data centers around the world. Um, and what it also means is that you don't have to, you know, every six months throw out your hardware, which is what happens in Bitcoin, because uh, it's a little bit of a hard, hardware arms race. Uh, and it also means that proof of stake uh, requires a good deal less energy to produce those machines on a recurring basis and also to run those machines. Um, so proof of stake um, is uh, you know, where essentially um, all of the nodes, right, all the all of the machines or kind of folks that are participating in proving the transactions on the network, we call them nodes, we call them validators and proof of stake. Um, they, um, they basically have uh, uh, holders of the sole token, um, you know, stake, uh, you know, delegate tokens to that validator, and then the validators with more stake, uh, depending on sort of, you know, th these things vary from network to network, but uh, generally then they um, are the ones that can vote on transactions uh, in the network, right? So it's sort of a little bit like putting your money where your mouth is. Um, if I think Nick's a really great validator, I'll kind of trust him um, to make certain decisions, um, usually technical decisions, uh, on my behalf in uh, ensuring the health of the network. All right. Awesome. So let's talk a little bit about the adoption since the launch. Um, how many people are using Sol? How can we kind of tell what that looks like? Yeah. Um, so Solana has, um, if you look at various metrics out there, Solana oftentimes actually is at the top of leaderboard in terms of active wallets. And, uh, and Solana also has built a, its own kind of developer ecosystem, Rust-based, not to get too into it, but essentially these different ecosystems um, use different languages um, to build applications. Uh, and so Ethereum has something called Solidity, um, and which is their own language that they built in order to access Ethereum virtual machine. And then Solana um, uses a pre-existing language called Rust, which is you know really popular throughout uh, throughout just you know, the software world generally speaking. Uh, but it's pretty different from building in Solidity. Uh, so there's about 2,000 active developers uh, building who have built are built are building applications uh, within Solana. So that's uh, Pretty great and something we're quite proud of because I think that within blockchain, actually outside of the Solidity developer ecosystem, um, the only other one to really sort of build a developer ecosystem of scale is Solana. And having done that from scratch with uh, entirely new tooling, new language, or at least a new language within the crypto world, um, that's something that we're that we're really proud of. Cool. So building a great um, ecosystem and tool set for developers is clearly a, a really important proof point for you guys. Um, as the president of Solana Foundation, what are other sort of metrics that you guys are looking at um, to sort of uh, demonstrate um, more adoption? Is it number of assets listed, active addresses? Like what are the things that you're you know keeping an eye on on a day to day? Sure. Um, those are definitely global metrics that um, people look at to compare ecosystems for sure. Right. Um, active wallets new wallets, um, new developers, active developers. 
Um, but if I take a step back, the way I kind of think about building L1s is I think there's, um, you know, call it a few uh, different parts of the ecosystem that matter and also matter in succession. So the first one is actually building a network, right? And that's um, getting to mainnet. So Solana launched mainnet in 2020 because if there's no network, there's no blockchain, there's you know nothing to do, right? Just doesn't exist. So <laughs> there's, quite a, there's quite a lot of work that goes into that, right? Actually um, writing the code, right? Um, making sure it works on the hardware and a little bit more of a hardware-driven ecosystem like Solana. And that's a lot of it. That's like where the core innovation is, right? So for Solana, that took about, call it two and a half, three years to get main networking. Okay, so now you've got a network. Now, that's really just the base layer infrastructure. If no one uses it, then it's also you know, sort of not really that important. So, okay, so who uses it? It's developers that are building up upon this, this infrastructure and ideally thinking up and building new applications that people might care about, right? So, uh, so in 2020, there was this big wave around decentralized finance um, that came into crypto and that outside of trading was really the first application space where people were like, wow, this is a lot better potentially, you know, has its trade-offs and has flaws, whatever, but uh, this is uh, better, right, in many ways than the uh, existing financial system or at least complementary in certain ways. Yeah, and in some ways better in some ways than the kind of early crypto, uh, uh, I would say, infrastructure systems, which oh, had their own sure. problems around centralization, access, speed, et cetera. Yeah. So it's pretty for cool. Sure. So once you've got a network, then you've got to attract developers to come and build new applications that are um, better than what we have in the existing world. So uh, in DeFi, for example, then you, you know, had a bunch of people um, building, you know, not just in Solana, but you know, throughout crypto, things like lending markets. So now I can you know, put up one Bitcoin as collateral, and then immediately um, I could borrow up to 80%, right, uh, in, uh, let's call it in Ethereum or something like that. And that's pretty neat, because where else can you get a loan like that with such flexible parameters in uh, you know, a couple of minutes? That's something you can really only do on DeFi. So once you've got a network, you've got to build a developer base to build these things, build these applications that people might care about. Uh, otherwise, there's really no rationale for users to even care, right? So uh, in some ways, crypto is more difficult, right? It's more difficult than setting up, signing up for an email address, um, which is fairly easy these days, because you've got to set up a wallet, um, these, you know, addresses are not always, not always human readable. Uh, and then you got to get used to the idea that if I lose my keys, like it's like, you know, not just a hundred dollars slipping, you know, dropping on the ground, it could be much more than that. Right. So, uh, so you got to get people used to that. So, you know, what are the reasons that people are going to go through all of that onboarding? Well, it's because maybe now finance works much better, right? Now maybe payments works much better. Now maybe um, there's really cool things I can do on social that are better than what I can do today on the existing internet. Um, but we need developers to actually think up and build all of those applications. Otherwise, users are like, yeah, well, you know, I don't, uh, it's not really worth sticking around. So I think generally in crypto, uh, there's a number of networks that uh, had network infrastructure that's been built and is live. We're by no means over with that, right? There's still a lot of innovation on that kind of network layer. Uh, and then as an ecosystem, I think really the developer layer, right? Inspiring, um, helping 
developers, independent developers think up cool reasons why they should be building on Web3 is really the focus. Uh, and once we sort of have a lot of innovation at that layer, then I think we'll have you know, collectively, as even as an industry, have a strong enough sort of value proposition to users of why you should be using applications built on this infrastructure rather than the stuff that you already know and love. Yep. Okay. So get the infrastructure right, get it live, you know, basically build a vibrant developer community and then start putting products in the wild um, to make sure that uh, they're mm -hmm. uh, usable, basically. So, okay. That makes sense. Um, we, had a, we had a question come in from the community. Uh, so liquidity, transaction fees, slippage are always three important factors in financial services. Um, how does a Solana community work to solve the above problem and attract more users? What innovations are likely to improve um, trading experiences in the future. This question comes from Kukume uh, via Twitter. Hi, Kukume. Uh, thank you for the question. So um, I think this is one place where Solana actually really shines. And um, about in early 2021, there was a protocol called CRM launched on top of Solana, um, which allowed uh, central limit order books, which is the, the primary way that um, markets trade and establish price actually allowed central limit order books to be built natively entirely on chain on Solana. And the only reason why, uh, or the reason why Solana could do that and Ethereum could not and other networks could not is because it was fast and cheap, right? Yep. You need a lot of transactions per second to support yeah. something like that. Right. Because if you're, if it's going to be entirely on chain, then every time you post a bid um, or post an ask, every one of those is technically a transaction. So if you're trying to do that on Ethereum, you literally can't because how can you operate an, an order book where I've got to pay, first of all, pay at least two bucks and wait a couple of minutes for you to say, I'm willing to pay, you know, 20K for Bitcoin, not to mention like the number of transactions you need to do in order to actually maintain an order book. It's like got to be really instantaneous and fast, right? So, uh, so you know, central limit order books, which is generally speaking, the more efficient way of establishing price in a market. Um, is something that could only really uh, exist on chain on Solana. And, uh, and all of the centralized exchanges, including blockchain.com, they run an order book system, but then they're running it on centralized servers. And so they can actually sort of really quickly process those transactions, right? Um, so in terms of doing things natively um, uh, in DeFi, uh, in you know totally decentralized manner, um, I would say in terms of transaction fees, slippage, meaning sort of efficient pricing mechanisms, um, those are actually where um, Solana and the Serum protocol really shine. Uh, and then in terms of liquidity, um, I think that um, liquidity, liquidity begets liquidity, liquidity is king, as they always say. Um, and so it's, uh, so then, you know, what are the reasons why you can sort of start to uh, attract initial liquidity? I think what happened with Solana initially is that um, it was the only place you could do club or central limit order book trading on chain. So to the extent that people wanted to do DeFi native trading fully on chain, uh, there's many reasons why people might want to do that from it's novel and new, wow, we can finally do this to better arbitrage opportunities and, uh, and you know, decentralized sort of wallet based trading infrastructure has its advantages as well, so on and so forth. Uh, I think that is actually you know, pretty, uh, that's a place where Solana is really quite differentiated. 
Awesome. Thank you so much. Hopefully that answers Cuckoo's question. All right. So uh, for Solana fans out there um, and everyone in the crypto community, uh, what are some things uh, in the roadmap that the foundation can share with us today that are maybe coming in the next three to six months that you're excited about? Um, any uh, tidbits we uh, we wait yeah. eagerly? Oh, totally. Um, I think that um, there are a number of updates to the core protocol um, that uh, the community has been eagerly, eagerly anticipating and are being rolled out. So, um, you know, Solana uh, really had a breakout year in 2021. Um, that is great in many ways, but then uh, it also, sometimes you can be a victim of your own success in the near term. So with all of the activity that came onto Solana, uh, sometimes it overwhelmed the network. Now, this is not unlike what happened to Ethereum in the early days um, and uh, you kind of have to build and engineer your way out of it. Uh, and those fixes are coming now. Um, and so, you know, some of those uh, software fixes in order to basically prioritize transactions, um, those are being rolled out right now. Um, and uh, to prevent, you know, if there is an MTV project which is doing a mint over here, it's not going to overwhelm the network such that I'm trying to do my DeFi trade over here and I can't get it through, which you know obviously can be um, really frustrating. So, uh, so there's a number of fixes there um, to uh, basically cut down on folks that are trying to spam the network. And um, and you know, in a blockchain world, you can't really sort of do um, it's you got to like come up with some kind of cool engineering ways of solving that, because if you're not centralized, you can't just say, all right, I'm just going to you know cut off the report. Right. Um, like you can if you're uh, if you're AWS or something like that. So. Uh, you don't really have those sort of, you know, like just lower the gates <laughs> um, or like, you know, uh, or you know, pull up the bridge type of approaches in a, in a decentralized network, unfortunately, or fortunately. Um, so um, so there are some of those changes coming. Um, that's on the technical level. I think uh, there's also a number of um, cool things that are happening around the world. So uh, with Solana, um, it was originally founded in the U.S., uh, but, you know, it's global network, um, open source technology. And so uh, we've been doing a lot of work to, um, to uh, bring awareness to Solana around the world. We did a lot in India last year. Um, and I think that particularly for a blockchain like Solana, which um, is fast and cheap, there are certain really basic things like payments that work really well on Solana and those use cases. I think sometimes in crypto, we forget about them a little bit because they seem so simple and mundane. And also, frankly, that the simple and mundane things have actually really not worked well in crypto at all up until now. Right. Um, there was the 2014 um, billion dollar transaction roadmap or blog post that was articulated for Bitcoin before Bitcoin sort of went from payments infrastructure to digital gold. And it's now fairly settled in that direction. Um, but uh, the thing that people use money for the most, right, which is to clear the other side of a transaction for goods Penis. and services. Yep. Um, Bitcoin, uh, Bitcoin's bad at that. Ethereum's bad at that. And the only one that can do that right now is really Solana. Uh, and you know, even a lot of the other chains that um, are live today, they're faster and cheaper, but they still might cost 50 cents, 25 cents a transaction. And, uh, and that's, that's not great. No one wants that. 
Okay, cool. So it sounds like there's a lot coming up. Um, so basically making the network more reliable, increasing capacity, um, maintaining censorship resistance, and then focusing on fundamentals so that uh, more people can get on the network. So in a lot of ways, just like when you build a highway and you have a certain number of lanes, if a lot of people start traveling on it, it creates congestion. And that's true of blockchain technologies as well. So you'll hear a lot about scaling capabilities um, across different yeah. networks. And it's exciting to hear that you yeah. guys are concentrating on that. So uh, if you're excited about what you heard today, uh, please, uh, you can head over to blockchain.com to buy, sell, swap, and hold Solana right within your blockchain.com wallet. I want to thank uh, Lily for coming on the show today. Thank you so much for teaching us more about the Solana community, the roadmap, and what you guys are concentrating on. Um, it sounds like this is definitely an era of building, and uh, we're excited to hear more about all the things you guys put together for us. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the blockchain.com podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, please like and subscribe to the show. And if your friends and family are embarking on their crypto journey, why not share this episode with them? If you haven't already, visit blockchain.com to sign up for a free crypto wallet today. We've been around since 2011 and we're the world's most popular way to buy, sell, and trade crypto. See you next time.